Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Spiritual Forum. So glad you're here. I just want to remind you that I'd love to have you leave a, a good rating and review at um, on the Spiritual Forum podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I'd be very, very helpful. And this is a nonprofit organization, so if you feel like leaving a donation because you benefit from the podcast, you can go to thespiritualforum.org and leave a donation there, and it would be much appreciated. Help pay for some of the editing we do and... and um, the hosting of the website and just the expenses we have. So that's pretty much my run-up today. A uh, short reminder about the whole spirituality forum and retreat that I'm co-hosting at Unity Village this October 28th, 28th, 28th through the 31st. You can find out more about that on the, the spiritualforum.org slash retreat. So today I have a very interesting guest. I like to have different kinds of people with different lenses of spirit and different experiences of the divine. And today we'll be speaking with Shauna Pereira, and here's her um, introduction. After a near-death experience during a kidney and heart transplant in 2020, Shauna uh, Pereira is now channeling her purpose into building a movement, content, plat content platform, and research institute around the future of religion and healthcare. She's a speaker and a thought leader, sharing her insights and lessons around organ transplantation, the importance of partnership with your medical team, the mental resilience it takes to survive when faced with death, and the emotional impact of having seen the afterlife. Her experiences and speeches guide people on how to better have a better relationship with crisis and their own humanity. I think this is going to be very interesting. We haven't had anybody on with a, a, a death experience before, and I just really, really want to welcome you, Shauna. Thank you so much, Carol. It's such a pleasure to be here with all of you. Thank you. And Shauna's sitting in San Diego, where it's really, really hot. And I'm sitting in Wisconsin, where I've got a, a fall jacket on. So <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to make it work. I, I talk to people around the world. Sometimes I'm talking to people who are in Australia and India. I talked to somebody recently who was in Ireland. And I just think it's fascinating that we can all meet on this platform and talk about these spiritual situations, spiritual challenges, spiritual experiences. And, and it's just really a great, uh, it's just a great, great representation of the idea that we're so close, you know, we're so close and we're so connected. We really are, no matter what country we're in um, or from or culture that we are from, that we are all faced with very similar wants, desires and challenges as human beings. Yeah, for sure. And I know the story you're going to tell today is going to be really touching. I think it's going to help a lot of people and inspire a lot of people. So why don't we start with that? Why don't we start with you telling us about your 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 death experience and anything you want to talk about running up to that? And um, I, I I I love that that you you couch your experience by saying it was anything but near. <laughs> right. Yes. Exactly. Um, so I am from Australia. And I moved over to the U.S. when I was 22 in 2003. And um, I'd never been to Los Angeles before. And I thought, why not? And I up and came. And so um, 
I started my advertising and marketing career here in the US. And in 2015, I, at that point, had won a bunch of awards and I'd done a bunch of work. And I thought, gosh, you know, I want to go home and celebrate the fact that I have had this amazing run of awards and and accolades. I want to go home and celebrate with my family. And so I went home for Christmas 2015 and Christmas Eve 2015 in my hometown, in the hospital in which I was born in, my kidneys failed. Mm. And um, that was the first time that I had my outer body experience where people have asked me, where did I have that? And did I have one? It was actually Christmas Eve 2015, where I remember sitting in hospital and I thought, I moved away from home at 22. I moved to a completely different country, started completely over with new friends, new job, new everything. I didn't know anybody. I had never even been to the US and I'd struggled through and built myself up. And now I was going to come all the way back to my hometown and die right where I started. And I thought, this is unbelievable. Like this is, this can't happen like this. And that's where I saw myself out of my body. I had this flash of myself out of my body and hearing how I would talk to myself. It was Mm -hmm. like my internal dialogue was on loudspeaker and it was, I'm really hungry. Well, I don't have to eat right now. I've got a meeting. Let me just finish the meeting and then I'll grab something to eat. But then I've got another meeting straight after. If I can just get through the next two meetings, then I'll have a proper sit down lunch and eat later. Or it was, I'm really thirsty. I haven't had water for a minute, but give me, give me a few. And let me just take these seven phone calls. And at the end of those phone calls, then I'll take a walk and then I'll go. And I could hear how I would consistently put my well-being after whatever I had to get done that day. And so that Christmas Eve 2015 was very significant for me because I had to come back to the US and figure out how I was now going to heal from kidney failure. And it came out of nowhere. And so that trip back was really profound in giving me a completely different relationship to my body, my internal dialogue, and how I was going to deal with this challenge that had just seemingly come out of absolutely nowhere. Through that time period, um, one of the first calls I made was to the head of the National Kidney Foundation because it just so happened that two years before I had taught a college class where we helped six nonprofits and the projects for the class was helping the nonprofits where one of them just happened to be the National Kidney Foundation. Mm, coincidence. And, <laughs> right? Coincidence or not. And so she was my first phone call, this lady named Pierre. And I said, I just don't know what to do. And she said, no problem. Let me introduce you to nephrologists that are on our board that are vetted and that are amazing. And that's where I started to find doctors that I really had a connection with. And for me, the connection had to be more than just that they were masters in their practice, that they actually were connected in in my terms back then, it was an energy. Like they were connected to me in a way that felt like 
they cared more than the average. Interesting. Yeah. And at the time I didn't have a primary care physician. I didn't, I hadn't been to the doctor in years. So I really had to start from scratch. Through that process, I met a doctor named Dr. Rami Hanna and he became my saving grace. He became my advocate, my person. He explained everything there was to explain. I went on dialysis and I was on dialysis for four years. And in the meantime, also looking for a living kidney donor. Now I had I had not even borrowed money from anyone before, let alone an organ. So I was like completely lost. I had no clue what I was going to do. Um, I grew up in a Catholic family. My aunt is a Catholic nun. Uh, at eight years old, I refused to do my first communion, which wasn't even a question in my family. That was just to be done. But even as a little kid, I'd refuse to do my communion. No, I'm not doing it. I have to, you know, I've got to discover this for myself, even at that young of an age. And so that's where I started to ask the question of myself. And I always believed in God. And I was very spiritual in the sense of knowing that there is a creator, there's universe, there's whatever we want to call it. I always knew there's something bigger than us. Mm -hmm. that we have faith in something bigger. But what my definition was, I wasn't sure. And that's where I was going through my process because at this point I thought, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. I'm a good person. I do everything well. I do, you know, I try my best. I, you know, I do all the things. I stick to all the proper rules and I pay my speeding tickets and all of the things. (laughs) I do all the good things. I park in the right places. That's what was going through my head was like, why is this happening? So it was October 2018 when I got a phone call and it was from a lady who had seen my story through a friend of mine. And she said, the minute I saw your face, I felt a message from God that I was to give you my kidney. Wow. Now imagine, I just got this phone call out of the blue. Yeah. On a random afternoon, she calls and just says that. And I thought, what? Like, there are people like this in the world. This is amazing. And she said, I want to get tested to see if I'm a match and I would like to give you my kidney. So we went through the process, which took much longer than expected. We had all different hurdles of getting tested. It normally takes around six months. Hers took close to two years. Oh, wow. COVID interjected in between where, I don't know if you remember um, the early period of COVID where um, all of the labs were shut down to any additional testing. It was Mm -hmm. all just COVID testing because they were swamped. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, kidney transplants became uh, are elective. They're an elective surgery. So they were all on hold. So her process took much longer. And then August, 2020, she finally got approved. And they said to me, you now just need two tests. We need a CT scan and we need a stress test for your heart to clear you. Then we can schedule surgery. When they did the two tests, I got a phone call and first the doctor said, it looks like we found a cyst on your kidney and there's 70% chance 
that it is cancerous. And I thought after all of this time of her getting tested and all of the delays, now they've found a cyst on my kidney that then says this could be cancer. And it's the same kidney they've been looking at for five years. I thought, I'm going to die. I thought it's not meant to be. Like this is a sign from God that this is not meant for me because now she's finally approved and now there's another hurdle. So Shauna, I want to pause for just a minute because you've said a lot in this before we go into the rest of your story. Because there's a lot of things I just want to kind of highlight from a spiritual standpoint. Um, First of all, all the serendipity is interesting. You know, the, (laughs) the, the kind of people showing up at the right time out of nowhere. And and I think that's just something to really note that this is the way, this is the way spirit works. God works, the universe works. You know, when, when we're open, I think sometimes we just miss it. But in your case, you got phone calls, you got connected to doctors who who you felt this connection with. Like they were like your soul people or something. It sounds like that there was something beyond just like a regular patient doctor relationship. Like these are the people you agreed to be with in this lifetime at this time. That's what it seems like. Yes. Um, but I kind of, I want to go back further about when you had the kidney failure. And I think you said you were in the hospital and you were hearing how you were talking to yourself. Yeah. I, 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 want, to, I want to pause and, talk to, and, and highlight that a little bit because we, we do always hear how we're talking to ourselves. But it sounds like, you know, like I can hear my inner voice. You should do this, you should do that, whatever it is. So that's done, whatever, whatever it is, my inner voice. But it sounds like you were you were like a real observer, like like really observing the voice and and you. Like and you could see the voice speaking and you could see you responding. Is that correct? Yes. That's exactly what it was like. And I'm I'm one that is very attuned to my inner thoughts and my inner voice. This was one of those areas where it was conversation that was seemingly unimportant. You know, I get up in the morning and it's yeah, like, just oh, chatting. Like you're just rattling through what you're going to do. Yeah. And so different to in a dialogue when I'm like, don't speak negatively to myself or that is really a tune. It was the small chatter that was seemingly nothing that then came to light. That was how often do we take a phone call when really we're hungry? How often do we just put something off? Because it doesn't feel like a big deal. It's like, okay, if I eat at 12 or two, it's fine. You know, I'll make it through. I'm not going to die. It was that, that mindless chatter of just making small decisions through the day. Okay, got it. So the small decisions through the day that that highlighted to you that you don't put yourself first, that you you would let all these things that you had. I, I had somebody on recently that talked about the hamster wheel. Like, you know, we're on this hamster wheel. We got to do, we got to do, we got to do, we got to get this done. And it, it's such a trap, but we get into it. Like, I'll take care of that later. First, I've got to do this. And yeah. and then somehow we feel like this is, this is a good thing for us because we're achieving or we're accomplishing something or we're doing something for somebody. And but all along we're like you know not taking care of ourselves and you know that's our divine body that's our divine self we were each given a, a body and and why we why we don't take care of it like first you know we've been trained i think culturally like oh you know it, it'll it'll be fine or it can keep going or somebody else is more important so i think this is a really interesting thing that this happened to you at that time 
mm-hmm. to show you that you. It, it, so did you did you at that time change to I'm a priority, or is that just something that's still in the back of your mind? This experience. No, it. Well, I was forced. Okay. Because if anyone's ever been on dialysis, you have to be where you have to be at that particular point in time. It's not optional. Or you die, like, you know, it's a one-day thing. It's not even, you can't skip it. You can't delay it. You can't, there's nothing about it that can happen. Okay. So So, this experience put you in that situation where you had to take care of yourself. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like I haven't been taking care of myself all this time. Now I have to take care of myself. Yeah. And it's different. I even wouldn't characterize it as taking care of myself because I find that through this experience, what I've noticed is people, if you ask them, do you take care of yourself? They go, yeah, I do. You know, like I do take care of myself, but we don't realize the small decisions. We do take care of ourselves. We think we're taking care of ourselves, but we don't realize the micro decisions. And the distinction that I've made about it is like when when you have a toddler, the toddler needs to eat in that moment in time, not in 30 minutes, not in two hours. Try and tell a toddler that they can't have something for an hour. Your life will be hell for that hour, (laughs) right? Like That's right. Like nothing is happening. You could be in a movie theater in the most inopportune moment. But if they need to go to the bathroom, they need to go to the bathroom in that moment in time. We don't treat ourselves like that. Right. Our inner toddler is is, is kind of screaming, but we put him away or her away somewhere and yeah. just say, yeah, sit in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Because we learn a level of, we learn a level of tolerance yeah. that makes it bearable. And that's the part that is revolutionary in my mind about what changed for me in that moment, because all of these things are tolerable. Yes. Right. Like none of them, the doctor asked me, were you tired? And I'm like, I'm in advertising. I'm always tired. (sighs) And it was like, does your back hurt? Yeah. I'm in advertising. My back always hurts. Like, and I'm like, what are you talking about? What kind of question is that? Of course I'm in pain. Like, of course, we are in laptops all day. Yes. 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 But it's that level of tolerance that we don't see anything wrong with it. Right. So very interesting. Yeah. Like we wouldn't, I don't think people would relate to, oh, I don't take care of myself. It's more about there are these minute moments, like skimping on 30 minutes of sleep a night or Mm -hmm just going to do this for an extra hour and I'll catch up on the sleep on the weekend or, you know, like those little seemingly small things that can really add up. And that's what I heard in that voice. Okay. That's a really, really good point. I'm glad we stopped to pause, pause and talk about this because I think that's something everyone can relate to. And, and it, if we don't heed that, lesson or, or this what we're pointing out here, then you, you know, we, we may bring to ourselves circumstances where we absolutely have to take care of ourselves in those momentary small, small um fractions of time. And it it, it is interesting what we tolerate. It really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just you know, you say of of course, of course my back hurts. Why wouldn't it hurt? I mean, it's just part of life. And it's not part of it's 
it is not, part of life, but it's not necessary. It's not necessary at all. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the discovery for me was a newfound level of relaxation. Like what is the definition of relaxed? Um, what you found that you found that in, in that experience. So you found that in this whole experience. Throughout the whole experience. Okay. Okay. All right. The the other thing I wanted to highlight was you're asking why is this happening? Because that is such a human thing that we do. And we, you know, when, it's, it's a funny thing that we, we think that life, if we do everything right, life should work out okay. Like it just, life should be good. Life should be happy. Life should be joyful. And all that's true. But life is also, you know, unbearably difficult sometimes and challenging and it hurts and, and there's pain and there's suffering, there's trauma and there's good and there's joy and there's peace and there's, there's all of it. angst. There's all of it. There's all of it. And we never question, you know, why is all this, what we do sometimes, why is this good happening if we don't think we deserve it? But just a basic joyful day, we never question, you know, why is this day so good? You know, <laughs> we just go, this is the way life should be. But when we get in this challenging situation, it's so natural. And there's biblical characters that do this all the time. Why me, God? Why me, God? Why is this happening to me? I've been your faithful servant. Um, so let's keep talking because I think we're going to learn about what you what you learned through this whole experience. Um, I think we left off where you found a, uh, or the doctor found a tumor on your kidney. Yeah. So they found a cyst and said it had 70% chance of being cancerous. And at that point, I thought, I'm going to die. At that point, I thought this is a never ending experience because I was so excited that she finally got approved. We were so close and I was done. I was tired. I was done. I was like, it's just like there's all these steps that I would have to take and all these things. And I just thought, that's it. I'm not meant to be here. This is a sign from God, universe, whatever we want to call it, that I'm not meant to be here. It's not meant to work out. Because of all the serendipities too, I'm a very big believer in the signs. I'm one that looks for them. And I thought, this is it. Like this has to be a sign that says no. And then two days later, I um, got a phone call from my cardiologist. Amazing, amazing man. Again, one of those soulful connections. And he said, Shana, forget about your kidney. Your heart's at 15%. And I thought, this truly is it. I already thought I was going to die. And now here's another sign on top of that one that I really thought like, I'm really done. I'm really done. And I happened to be in the car on a Friday when he called. When he, the doctors are at Cedar sinai up in Beverly Hills, which is two hours away from me. And he said, where are you? And I said, well, I just was going to get an iced tea and he said, okay, we'll get the iced tea and then drive to my office. Don't go home. Don't stop anywhere. Just come straight to my office. And I said to him, okay, but i got to tell you, I can't take another thing. And he said, I completely understand. I'll take care of you. You just drive here. And on that drive, um, for any, any of your listeners that have done it, it's up the five freeway. I want to say it has five lanes, maybe six. Um, and I was driving up the freeway and all of a sudden I felt this darkness start to come over me. 
and it started to come from behind and it just wrapped around me. And all of a sudden, all I could see was like a pinhole in front of me of the car that was in front of me. And a voice came through and said, come with me. It'll be easier. It's too painful. It's too painful. You don't have to deal with any of this. It's not meant to be. Just come with me. And for a moment, it felt godly. And at the exact same moment, it felt seductive. Mm -hmm. Just this little nuance of seduction where I thought, no, that doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I reached over and hit the uh, car screen, which redialed my best friend. And she's a Pilates instructor. And she picks up and starts to count one, two, three, four, five, and breathe, five, four, three, two, one, and breathe. And that for me felt like 10 seconds. I felt like we counted up and down twice and the darkness started to lift off of me. And it felt like in that moment was when I chose to live. And she says it was closer to a minute. For me, it felt like 10 seconds. And, uh, That moment was, I think, one of the moments where I felt similar to Christmas Eve 2015, where I felt a divine moment come through. And that for me, reflecting back, that's where I chose to live. That's where I chose, like, um, my life is going to continue. So I made it up to to the doctor and um, he says to me, from the moment I met you, I knew that you were meant to do big things in the world. And he said, I meet a lot of people, but there was something about you that I knew that you were meant to do big things in the world. And I knew that my role was to keep you alive for you to do so. And he said, that was, that's my plan. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to go live your life. I'm going to text you and tell you where you need to be and what you need to do. You go do those things. I have a game plan. You live your life. That's what we're going to do. Wow. And he said, we're going to get through this. And I said, are you sure? Because I feel like I'm going to die. And he said, do you know how many people I've got running around Los Angeles with a heart and kidney? Tons. And I was like, really? He said, so many. I'm like, really? <laughs> he said, absolutely. And so I walked out and I said, okay, the day that I get to do a soul cycle class, you're coming with me. And he said, absolutely not. But I'm all for the soul cycle class. You will absolutely get back there. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the partnership that we had formed. Um, and uh, I proceeded from that moment to have Labor Day weekend 2020 in hospital. They did a heart surgery to see if they could get my heart to strengthen. It didn't. So we had to heal from that. And then I called my best friend, the same one again with the car. And I said to her, the heart didn't strengthen. So now we have to get my heart strong enough to get my kidney out. As long as my kidney's not cancerous, then they put me back on the heart and kidney transplant list. Then I get a heart and kidney transplant. And I said to her, there's too many steps. Like, I don't think there's too many ifs, ands, or buts in between, you know? And she goes, she goes, oh my God, this is going to be great. And I'm like, how? And she goes, this is going to be amazing. This is what's going to happen. Your kidneys failed on Christmas Eve, 2015. Now 
for Thanksgiving, they're going to take your kidney out and you're going to give it to the universe as a thank you to the universe. And then on Christmas 2020, you're going to receive your kidney and heart and that's going to be your Christmas gift. And then we're going to make a Christmas movie and I'm going to be able to be in it because I love Hallmark and I can't believe <laughs> that you would give me the opportunity to be in a Hallmark movie. A I Hallmark Christmas thought. movie. She was like, I'm never in my wildest dreams thought I would ever be in a Hallmark movie. And now I get to play myself. I can't believe it. She's the, she's the best amazing. friend. She's so good. She gets to be the best friend of character in the Hallmark movie. Yes. She was like, that's what's going to happen. Now, the movie that I was in was Final Destination. You know, the movie where it's like, if the car accident doesn't kill you, the toaster does. Oh. You know, it's like if something's not going to get me, something else is going right, to get me. Right, right. And I thought, well, her movie has a happy ending. It sounds way better. So let me get myself in her movie and see what happens. So if I really think I'm going to die anyway, what's the harm? I was still super skeptical. And then this was in the early, early November. Then the doctors called and they happened to schedule my surgery to get my kidney out the week before Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is great coming true. <laughs> right. You're in the movie. <laughs> the movie is being played out. Right. And so I called the doctor, the cardiologist, and I said to him, listen, we're making a Christmas movie. So we need to hurry this whole thing up. And he said, it doesn't really work like that, but there's a list of things that you have to do. And, you know, it's up to you to do them as, as fast as you can do them. You've got to get clearances and all these things. So, you know, I'll give you the list and you go do it. So that was... Thanksgiving, I started to heal from the Thanksgiving surgery. The kidney didn't have cancer. So that was like, okay, we're now got a little bit of positive steam, a little bit of positive momentum. And then um, December 22nd, they admitted me into Cedars-Sinai and I had one more test to do and then a pulmonary clearance to get back on the list. And so the test was to figure out uh, what level I would be placed on the heart and kidney transplant list. And at this point, I'd gotten all of my clearances done. That was a whole thing because normally those clearances take three to six months. But I called every different doctor that I could think of. I looked at different appointments. We reshuffled, you know, my schedule. I have uh, an executive assistant who helped me like figure out my schedule and who was going to go where and try and get all of these clearances done. I had to find a dentist and a mammogram and, you know, all of these clearances. Um, again, lots of serendipity because it was right before the holiday period. And most of those specialists were already closing down. Yeah. And so it would be things like someone would cancel and they'd say, oh, we just had a spot open randomly. And so, you know, all of these things sort of lined up. It felt like it was really like magic. Um, a lot of work went into it, obviously. And this is something that, again, it's something people have asked me where I felt like I was in partnership with my higher power. It wasn't just me praying and hoping for the best. I'd put a bunch of work in. If one doctor said no, I'd call another one or I'd explore this or I was Googling this and I was researching. I was trying to find like who was closest. And, you know, there was action happening. Yeah, I was, I was, as you were speaking, I, I kind of got that idea. It's not, it's not like this divine hand was just guiding you everywhere. You were still really working. 
working and doing all you, but but there was a divine hand guiding in in some ways to kind of like, you know, part the seas over here, create an opening over here. But but if you weren't there already, you would have missed it. Exactly. You know? So yeah, you have to be doing all that work. Exactly. At the same time, my aunt being a Catholic nun, I called her and I said, I really think I'm going to die and I'm scared. I'm really scared. And she said, yeah, you might. And I said, well, what kind of a Catholic nun are you? You're supposed to help people. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Right. She said, this is very serious. You might die. But either way, you're taken care of. So the real question is, what are you going to do with the time that you have here on earth? Exactly. Whether that's 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months, 10 years, 10 Exactly. Decades. Yeah. And that's a question for everyone. I mean, it was very clear for you, but it's a question for everyone. And and the message that, yeah, you might die, that that's a fine message. That's all of our messages. We're all good. Right. I mean, no one's done it yet. <laughs> We're all going to die. We don't know if it's tomorrow. We don't know if it's 10 years from now or 50 years from now. But yeah, what are we going to do today? Exactly. So when they put me in hospital on December 22nd, I felt like I'd done everything humanly possible. Uh-huh. You know, like if I die now, I'm going to die satisfied because I've done everything. Yeah, I went above and beyond. I did almost the impossible and even just getting the clearances. And it was based off of sweat equity. Like I really went at it with a 15% heart function. And I still was going to appointments and climbing upstairs and, you know, getting to where I had to go exhausted, but forcing myself through that. So I really felt like if whatever happens at this point, I've done everything I can do. Um, December 22nd, they did the procedure and the doctor said, we need to do a couple more things. And he said, you're not going to, it's not going to be Christmas because even us putting you on the list today, it's still going to be six to eight weeks at minimum. And he said, but you can still make the movie. You can just make it based <laughs> loosely on facts. It's like around Christmas. Keep said, the no decorations up. <laughs> right. He goes, I said, no one's going to watch a Hallmark movie then find out it happened in February. Like, that doesn't work, you know? Like, that's not a movie. Like, it has to happen in real time. We're going to make it a Christmas movie. And so that was our banter. And I honestly think he was just entertaining me to give me something to be excited about, you know, like to give me something to just be uh, hopeful for. And what was great about him is every day that I spent in hospital, he would come and visit and check on me. And we'd, we'd have conversations about the connection between your emotional, your mental, your spiritual strength and your healing. And those that actually have better chances of recovery when they have a strong support system, including their faith. And, you know, we would talk mm-hmm. about it. Cedar sinai is based off of a religious hospital, all religions, but it's got, a, it's got a spiritual essence. It's in a hospital where the chaplain does Reiki, you know, like oh, it's nice. very progressive from that standpoint. And uh, the Star of David is on the building and, you know, they're very much about belief systems. And so we would have really great conversation about the connection of your physical, your mental, your emotional health, and all of it needing to be, you know, completely cared for. Um, So in that process, they, December 22nd, I was in hospital. 
uh, Christmas Eve, they finally put me on the list. That's when all the clearances ended up being finished and put me on the list. And at that point, the cardiologist also said the same thing. We've done everything we can do. You've done everything you can do. Now you're back on the list. Now we wait and we pray. And my aunt sent out a message. Um, this was during COVID. So I was completely locked away. Couldn't, no one could come and visit, even the nurses. Uh, there was only a select few that could come in and out of my room, those that were designated. It was very specific. And um, on Christmas Eve, I sent out a note and said, no matter what religion you are or what your belief system, I need all kinds of prayers, positive affirmations, uh, you know, uh, chapels, altars, uh, ceremonies, whatever your version is, we're taking all of it, all of the options from all cultures, all religions. <laughs> we need all of it because we need a miracle, right? If I was like, I'm no bias at all. I'll take everything. Anyone, anyone has, anything anyone has, I'm in rituals, all of it. And I said, you know, I'm in hospital. This is happening. We're praying for a Christmas miracle. Um, the next day, it was 10:30 p.m. The phone rang on Christmas Day, and they said, "We have a heart and a kidney for you." Wow! It was a miracle. The doctors were like, "This never happens. This never happens in one day." They were absolutely shocked. Um, Surgery was scheduled for December 26th. A couple of hours before surgery, they came in to say hi and they were like, Shana, this is unbelievable. I can't believe it. You called it. It's a Christmas miracle. We can't believe it. They were shocked. They were just like, we don't know. This is just a, a miracle. This cannot be explained by any of us. And while we were celebrating, I flatlined. And that's when it became a true miracle because my heart was going to stop on December 26. Wow. And it still makes me emotional because when you think about where our story started, our conversation started, the smallest of decisions, right? Right. Could I do this? Well, maybe. Well, maybe I'll do that later. The smallest of decisions are why I'm here. Right. They all stacked up to create the perfect timeline. They all stacked up. And that's when we all realized what a miracle it was. And when I flatlined, I felt myself lean back and go to sleep. And then all of a sudden, I was in this infinite darkness where there was no time or space, but it wasn't dark like you could turn a light on. It was kind of like out of space, like the galaxy dark. It, it was like a, a weird, empty, but not empty, dark, but not dark. It was kind of like a, and I couldn't see anything. I was looking around, kind of confused. And then I thought, oh. And as soon as I thought, oh, the scene switched. And I'm standing in a hallway and I'm looking down a hallway, kind of leaning in. And there was God and Jesus and a light behind them. And I just knew where I was. Something was so familiar. I just knew where I was. And Jesus was a man in the sense that I could see all his features. I could pick him out of a crowd now. And God was this wow. dark shadow. It was like he looked like an ancient man in a shadow. But I couldn't tell any features or I couldn't tell anything like that. 
But what I knew instinctually was that he wasn't human. He was just in a form that I wasn't confused by. So that I wasn't like talking to a cloud or something random where I'd be like, what is happening? <laughs> you know, it was like the, the feeling just was like, I know where I'm, I am. And the minute I realized all of this, it just happened very quickly. It was like the minute I got the, oh, all of a sudden, a wave of compassion washed over me. Like if you took every person in the world and timed it by 10,000, I felt this wave of compassion for all of the suffering that we go through, all the joy, all the emotion, all of the humanness, all of the humanness, a deep sense of grace for all of it. And um, I looked up and Jesus looked at me and went like this, did a little nod towards God. And I thought, okay, this is my moment. And then he spoke to me and God said, you are to start a church with your best friend, all denomination, not with the intention to convert, but to demonstrate that we are all united simply because we are religious. I never intended religion to divide, only to unite. And I said, okay. And then I came back through the infinite darkness and all of a sudden I was asleep and someone was trying to wake me up. Wow. And I thought, who? <laughs> trying to wake me up. Like, what do they want? <laughs> and it was the nurse doing CPR. She was doing chest compressions. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I opened my eyes and I could feel like my whole body. And I said, Margaret, I'd met her earlier that day. And I said, Margaret, relax. And I moved her off of me and I sat back up and I said, guys, relax. I just took a little nap. Where were we? And the doctors to this day say, they have never seen someone sit up from flatlining for two minutes and know where they are, know what was happening, talk normally, understand everything that was going on. They said normally the person is drooling out of it, discombobulated, doesn't have the strength to sit up because you've just been, you know, pounded for two minutes on your chest, doesn't have the strength to do any of that. They were in absolute disbelief. Well, not, those other people didn't meet God and Jesus and be given, right. a, given yeah. something to go do. <laughs> right? They were in absolute disbelief and all it was like a pin drop. And all you could hear was the surgeon say, take her to the OR right now. And all of a sudden the bed started to move. Everyone started to run and they were racing me down the hallway to the OR. Um, in the OR, I remember feeling everything like that was starting to, you know, poke and prod and do what they do. And I grabbed the anesthesiologist's hand and I said to him, Kaveh, you've got me, right? And he said, a thousand percent, I've got you. I'll see you in a minute. And that's when I blinked and I woke up with a heart and kidney. Wow. And uh, they still can explain it of just the sequence of events and the, 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 strength it would have taken me to just sit up and be there. That is that, so um, interesting. Yeah. The whole story is so interesting. So, um, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, going back to when you were in the car and you felt that or saw that dark energy or whatever it was that was around you, that had to be, was that very different from the darkness that you felt in the space and also the, the kind of the cloud appearance of God that you saw? It was different, but it wasn't very different. Okay. 
And I say that intentionally as I was one of the people that never understood why or how someone could take their own life genuinely, not from a judgment perspective, but really in, in a logical sense, I was like, I've always tried to understand it. Yeah. And I could never understand it. In that moment, I got why. Yeah. The allure. It feels similar. Yeah. Yeah. And if a person isn't really attuned in a moment of desperation, it would feel like an actual good idea. Right. Right. And that's where those darknesses they, they were similar with it with enough to be different to go, oh no, no, that's not that's not the same thing. It takes a lot of discernment. I mean, discernment's like a spiritual oh. gift. And and I think it's one of the things that really, really important in our lifetime to hone that power of discernment. So we know what what is the voice of our higher self or what is the voice of God? What right. is the voice of of my ego, what is the voice of some darker energy? And you know, it, it can all be alluring, and we we need to distinguish. It can all be alluring. It it can be true, or it cannot be true. And I think that sometimes we we have all these experiences to help us hone our discernment. And our discernment would, if our discernment is really honed, we would know. Okay, I go left, I go right, I take four steps, I reach up for that, you know, I I buy this, I go take it there, I leave it there and you know, without even knowing, and I'm not saying we're robotic, but you would just know what what are what is right to do in every moment and what is not the right thing for us to do, not like it's wrong or bad, but it's not aligned with our purpose and what we're fulfilling. That's exactly right, and I think the discernment for what I have learned, the discernment really comes from being able to let go of the morality of whatever it is. Yeah. It has to be right for me. It might be wrong for 99% of the world. You can imagine me now where the doctors are like, you're the 1% of the 1%. And then with a near-death experience, we can't even know, like we don't even know what percentage that's in. So right. something that is right for me is is likely not right for someone else. And, well, and I think you, you had your, that first experience when you were eight. And you refuse communion <laughs> because it wasn't right for you, right? You know, so it's all—it's kind of been like a mantra for you that that probably started a while, a long time ago. Whether you kind of you know live that pattern or not, but communion wasn't right for you. It wasn't like it was wrong for others, but it wasn't right for you. Exactly. And you—you've declared that for yourself as an eight-year-old. That's pretty amazing. It's—it's really interesting when I see all the pieces come together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what's really interesting now is uh, one of my friends said, look, love the story and all, get the experience, minor detail, you hate going to church. And I was like, this is not lost on me, then I would be the last. Oh, yeah, of course. I, you know, I get that. I get that. I, I get that. I, I got a message from God to start a church too. And it's like, what? Is there somebody behind me? <laughs> right? It's the funniest thing. <laughs> exactly right. It was like, um, minor detail. And then the other thing that has come, <laughs> the other thing that has come from this is um people are drawn to touch me. Interesting. And they don't quite know why. It's probably energetic. Yes. And I'm a germaphobe of the nth degree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> you better get used to it. Very funny. This is very funny. But people say that they feel healing when they touch me. 
or that when I reach out to them, if it's like shaking a hand or especially when they touch my chest. Um, I've had a couple of people that have said they felt they felt divinity come through for them. Um, so that's a real gift that. Yeah. Now, it, I, I'm curious about you. Do you have any different sense of yourself with a heart transplant? I have, I would say I have a more sense of everything. You know, we say so often, listen to your heart. What mm-hmm. does that mean? Mm-hmm. Now for me, that's quite physical. If I'm somewhere and my heart starts to beat fast, I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here. You know, if I mm-hmm. if, if there's something that makes me anxious, I can feel it almost immediately. It's the tolerance levels. Mm-hmm. I can feel it almost immediately where before it may have taken it to get three times worse for me to go, wait a minute. Okay. So there's a real sensitivity to the heart. Sensitivity. Yeah. And then there's a special, there's a special relationship that I have with it, that it is my heart. I, I, I have no, I haven't, there was nothing around it that it was anyone else's. The minute that I woke up, I knew this was my heart and my kidney. Okay. At the same time, I honor it like it's someone else's. But again, it's almost like that out-of-body experience. It's like I can see myself now with myself, like my body feels like a different person where I treat it as a different person. I treat it like a toddler. Like if, you know, if I have a bunch of meetings, I'll eat in the meeting. I would never have done that three years Mm -hmm. ago, five years Mm -hmm. ago, because it wasn't Mm -hmm. PC, not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Now it's like I don't really care. It has to work for me. So it has been more of the changes on a minor level in that respect, but the sensitivity around its partnership with me in where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? How do I listen to my heart? It plays a huge role inside of it. And I can feel it. I can feel my chest tighten at different moments where I'm like, no. And it might not make sense why I'm annoyed, but I'm annoyed. That's so interesting. So it, 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 your, your body's speaking to you. Our body speaks to us and we just ignore it so much. And yeah. so we just ignore it. And, you know, like, I, I mean, there's times I feel my heart. It's like, why is that? Why am I feeling my heart now? <laughs> and right. and it, it's something to pay attention to. Um, do you know anything about the donor? She was 29. Okay. And she died on Christmas Day. Wow. Yeah. Which is, I can't even imagine what that's like for her family every year. Yeah. yeah. And do you have any connection with the family or anything like that? I don't. Um, it's one of those things where I don't know what I would say that would even do it justice. Yeah. But rather what I would do with my life, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure the time will come where that door opens and that, you know, that it feels like the right moment. But for right now, I still have a lot of survivor's guilt at times. I understand. Um, and this is the part of organ transplants that I don't think they really, that people really talk about enough. Um, and I think the heart is especially, it's such a special organ. It is. Yeah. You know, when and you think about it, it, it keeps you alive. Like this little thing. It's pushing the life force through every aspect of your body. Exactly. And moving, moving that life force, the blood through your body, it is so amazing. And there's an intelligence in the heart. And they say the, the heart is more intel- has the, is the center of intelligence. We think it's the brain, but the heart is the center of intelligence. Um, 
Exactly right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm sure the moment will come where there is an opportunity for us to meet in person, etc. I think for me, I'm very action orientated. And so for me, versus the words that would come out of my mouth to show, to say how grateful I am. Mm-hmm. It's what am I actually doing with this life now that she's given me a right. opportunity? I completely get that. You're honoring her by being fully alive and fulfilling the purpose that you have very clear purpose now. I mean, a lot of people spend a lifetime figuring out what's my purpose. You're like, I know, God told me. And right. It's pretty clear. But I, I'm guessing. I about it, but I. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I've, I've been given a couple God jobs that are like, like I say, are you sure? And, you know, I mean, in the Bible, Moses was the same way. You know, God gave him this huge job to go, go, you know, free, free the Hebrew people from Egypt. And he's like, what me? I can't even, I can't even put words together, you know? So it it is in the Bible, whether you believe that literally or figuratively, but in the Bible over and over again, God picks people who are consider themselves unworthy or not a good match. You know, it's like, that's not me, Yes, but, but then you're, you're given all of the tools and you're given all of the tools and you have all the tools to fulfill what you've been given to do. And, and I'm sure that you will fulfill this. And I, I'm also guessing that this young woman who died on Christmas Eve, that you and her soul are connected, you know, that you, you had some soul agreement or some soul connection that, you know, this is the way it was going to work for the, for the both of you. And that she had her lessons to learn and that you had yours and, you know, together you're, you're making it all happen. And she's, helping you fulfill your purpose. Yeah, I really believe that. I truly, truly believe that. I think there's something for me now where there are ancient rituals that are really speaking to me from all different religions. And of course, when I looked back at my life, when I was 15, I did religious class in high school where I learned about 10 different religions. Yeah. About Kabbalah. I studied Kabbalah for three years. I know about Buddhism, Hinduism. I've always taken and had a curiosity about Egyptian rituals, how they honor their sun gods and indigenous rituals honoring their creators. And it was so like, it's so interesting to see that while I would look like an unlikely candidate my whole life. has led up to this. Has led up to it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so... um, I've since done my communion and I really learned a lot of different pieces in amongst it about even the journey of Jesus. And it's funny, I read the Bible from the standpoint of history. Yes. And so I'm like, I get the Bible as a library. I don't want to, I don't want to read the sci-fi part. I don't want to read the fantasy part. I want to read the history. What was the geographical location where Jesus was, where did he walk to? Where do they go back to? Like I'm very specific about it. It's it's hilarious. I swear I, I drive my aunt and I'm like <laughs> I'm crazy because she's like very patient with me. But even in understanding that and how we can each translate the journey in which we go to discover our own discernment within ourselves, to know who are we listening to. Because I feel like we're at a time in life at the moment, especially where culture is so strong and it's so in your face and it's so subconscious 
that your discernment has to be even over and above and stronger in a way that allows you to really be able to say, I understand that this might be what 99.5% of the world thinks is correct. But for me, it doesn't feel right. It, I have to do what feels right for me. Yes. I'm listening to the right voice. Yes. And again, not right like there's a right and wrong, to your point, but the one that I know is coming from my heart. It's interesting you say that because I, I do feel that so many situations in this time are coming up for us to face that. Because there's a there's a lot of group stuff going on. A lot of everyone's thinking a certain way, saying a certain thing, and 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 there's only certain ways to think and do. And 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 then there's this. And I and I think we're do. I think we've created that so that we can see, you know, stand in our strength and and stand in our discernment. It may be right to go with the group for us, and it, and it may not be, but not automatically. Not automatically. It's like let's stop and feel the heart. What is my heart telling me? My heart, my deepest heart, not just the what we consider the heart, the ego heart <laughs> that wants to just be connected with everybody. Yeah, we we really I I feel like we're in very extreme times socially and it's allowing us to see to see clearly that we have to hone our discernment. Exactly. Exactly right. And it's hard because it's noisy. It's very noisy. Very noisy. Yeah. Yeah. And so Shauna, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say that's one of the biggest things I've learned is to yeah. take pause. Yeah. Yeah. All I was going to say is I, I want to wrap up, but I want to give you the the last words. You know, what what is your, what do, well, you've spoken a lot, so you don't have to, you don't have to say more, but what what is your message? You're going to, you're going to create this church or gathering place for people of all religions <laughs> that don't divide themselves. And, but what is, you know, with all of your experiences from you know the 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 Christmas when you had the kidney failure up through the the Hallmark movie, the 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 black blob, the the flatlining, all the serendipity, everything that's happened for you, and it's such a fascinating story. And I, I'm, you'll probably write a book about it someday or the movie. But um, what 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 message? What is your overall message to people? It's a simple one, I think. Um, my grandma taught me this. It is to believe in something greater than yourself. And that's not new. We've heard it. Mm -hmm. But for me, what that means is you will go through circumstances where your own two hands are not enough, not because you're not enough, but because the circumstance is greater than anything that you can do with your own two hands. And you have to believe in that moment that there is something greater than you that is on your side, outside of you. And that to me, if I, could, if I could impart one thing, that the more that we can connect to that, the less scary it becomes, mm -hmm. you know, the easier to stomach. It's beautiful. It, yeah. it's, that to me, it's, it's priceless. Yeah, and you also mentioned partnership early. Like we're, de we're designed to be in partnership with the divine. We're, we're, we're designed to um, not just know there's a greater power, but, but be in action with it. And yeah, and we don't, have, we don't have to get in dire circumstances to realize that. You know, we could just live this in our daily lives. 
Exactly. And that for me was more about in a partnership with your higher power and your divine power. You're the human, right? Mm -hmm. So it's on me to do everything humanly possible. And then let the divine do the divine stuff that I can't do. And the divine also cannot pick up a phone and call somebody, right? Like that. If you get you've got the hands and feet. (laughs) All this is you have to you've got to call them. You have to take the action. But yes, that that partnership and and that's a really great point in learning how to partner with it at all times. It really just those two things. I think, you know, what I got is if I whenever life starts to feel hectic for me or it feels like, oh, something's not quite clicking, I stop myself and I look at where is my connection with God and where is my connection with my body? And that's my job. My my relationship with my higher power and then my relationship with my body. And everything else tends to work itself out. Oh, that's great. I, I'm so I'm so glad to have met you and had this conversation. And I think you've blessed the listeners so much. And I, I mean I think your message is like you say, it's it's not new, but it's profound. And it's something that it's it's not in the head. It's it's in our bodies, it's it's in our it's in our hearts and and I, I just think that this message that you have and your church and everything that you're going to fulfill um, is just an amazing gift to the world. And I agree with your surgeon that you came here for a, a big reason and, and really grateful for all the hands and hearts that help you along your way. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carol. This has been really fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, it really has. So I wish you the best. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I now close the spiritual forum. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being.